right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And after many, many, many delays and all kinds of behind-the-scenes controversies and who knows what else, we're finally talking about The Flash. It's going to be a fun one to get into here. And joining me is Alexander Reams, who had previously been on one of my super episodes, but this is his first time on the show as a full episode co-host. So happy to have Alexander here to talk about this one. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention our resident DCEU buddy, Chad Clinton Freeman, who uh, is out now as far as these movies are concerned. But he's always been on all of these movies because he is a Snyder devotee. Uh, So shout out to Chad, even though he's out because of all of the uh, DC Warner Brothers behind the scenes bullshit. But uh, one day maybe we'll release that Black Adam episode that we recorded. I don't know. We'll see. But shout out to Chad. Everybody check out his headphones and microphones Facebook group and also his live streams that he's been doing. You can check that out. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes and I'm sure we'll get Chad back on the show sometime soon. So before we get to the conversation about The Flash, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And of course, plenty of superhero movies as well. So let's get into The Flash. All right, we've got Alexander Reams with us to talk about The Flash after many, 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 many delays of this movie, but uh, it's here now, and we're going to talk about it. Alexander, thank you for coming to the show. How are you doing? Doing all right, man. Very, very excited to be back Yeah, here. absolutely. Last time we had you on for a super episode, now we're finally getting you on a full one, and th- this movie, I mean, we'll get into it, but um, the, there's almost more to talk about with, you know everything around it rather than the movie itself. But I mean, you know, we'll see where this conversation leads. But before we get too far into The Flash, let's talk about you. Introduce yourself to my listeners. Uh, Yeah, I am. My name is Alexander Reams. I've been a film critic for a little over two years now, writing for a website, drinkingthemovies.com. And I also make short films as the cinematographer at Galaxy of Film. And we actually just wrapped our most recent short film. Nice. Um, that that's gonna be coming pretty soon, and that's really about it. I love movies. I love talking movies. Absolutely, <laughs> that's awesome. And uh, yeah, th- those are some uh, fun fun guys over there on Galaxy of Film. And looking forward to checking out the new short. That'll be uh, that'll be cool. But uh, I think going into the Flash, we have to kind of you know get this out in the open I, because I don't know about you. Like, wh- where do you land on the scale of you know, release the Snyder Cut people to the, you know, like, James Gunn, hell yeah, let's go with a new, you know, wh- where do you land on this whole scale of DC fandom? So, I'm kind of an outlier. I'm with both camps. I okay. support Zack Snyder's vision. I love what he did. His Snyderverse was very important to my love of film and growing my love of film. Mm-hmm. And Zack Snyder's Justice League was a very important moment for me in you know, watching movies, you know, seeing something like that come sure. out. And I've also been a lover of James Gunn for years. Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, Slither, um, Tromeo and Juliet. Like, 
he makes this guy who's making these weird Lloyd Kaufman movies is now the head of DC. Who wouldn't any DC fan in their right mind should want that? Because that means he's one of the weird ones. He's one of us. He knows right. this stuff. He's hung out in comic book shops. So we should all be excited for that because he's like Zack Snyder, just from a different perspective. Mm. What you just said, you know what that tells me is that you are a healthy young man um, with a healthy <laughs> attitude towards films. Okay, uh, okay, hold on, hold on. I still gave a perfect score to Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'm still like... Well, I like that too. I want the David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad, all oh, right? Boy. Okay, now, now, we're, now we're going down a little bit. But, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I, it, it is a weird, uh, a weird time for movies and a weird scale of like interests that come into these things. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, though. Like, I, I actually like... Zack Snyder's version of Justice League way better than I expected to, and I, I'm mixed on his uh, other films, but for the most part, I enjoy them, and I also really like James Gunn stuff. So I mean, it's kind of there. There's no bad. There's no good. It's just it's just movies. Somehow we are in almost a golden age of comic books right now, without even realizing it. Sure. I think that sure. we've, we're looking at the oversaturation from a negative perspective because think about it so far with DC we've now had 3 movies and it's only June. Mhm. Mm I I believe my math's right on that. Yeah, that seems about right. <laughs> I'm fairly look, my point is we've had just comic book movie after comic book movie. And for the most part they at least all have some type of redeeming quality. The Flash is no different. Mhm. Mm yeah, absolutely. So I I think that we're looking I think the whole DC situation is very much overblown. I think we're looking at the wrong scandal mm -hmm. or the wrong, the, the, the wrong turmoil. Yeah. I mean, to, right to me personally, my, my big thing isn't so much whether the flash is good or bad. My big thing is, can we do something other than multiverses? Like that, that's my big thing. Obviously like this whole new phase of Marvel movies seems to rest on multiverses. This, you know, at least where we're at with DC right now with the flash, I mean, who knows what's coming next? Obviously we have that new, uh, Batman and Robin movie coming, you know, but like, don't say that George Clooney. Yeah, will right. <laughs> uh, but we, 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 we are just doing so much of this multiverse stuff. And I just wish, you know, for, the 15 years or so since the MCU started and with DC attempting to do its universe, we were at least doing a variety of projects right now. It seems to be so stuck in this one gear of like, just throw anything you can at the screen. And that that's my biggest problem as an outsider. Who's not really a comic book guy. I get that. And I, and as a comic book guy, yeah. I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 2022 was qu quite literally the year of multi multiverses with Dr. Strange, everything everywhere. You know, and eventually it just became plot armor. That's right. right. Multiverses is now just benign plot armor to keep people alive and to bring back cameos. Because sure. cameos are, I, I really, yeah, Doctor Strange really screwed us up, I really think, <laughs> as, as a society with cameos. Yeah. That, that, and that, that wasn't even Raimi's fault. Right, I but know. It's, it's definitely getting getting to a point where it's enough. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start getting into some puzzle pieces here, and we'll see uh, what worked and what didn't work with the Flash along the way. But what do you have for your first piece? My first piece is the Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Ooh. I definitely didn't have this one on my list, so I'm excited to hear about this. All right. Um, we're, spoilers are cool, right? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> Bit late to ask, but spo uh, so spoilers, at the very end when Barry's in his time bubble, he has... Barry from 2013, 
and the Barry that we saw in the Snyderverse. And they're mm. both, you know, trying to get back to this point and reset the timelines. However, the whole ending of the Treasures Theater Madre is based on greed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want my way, you want your way. We're kind of in an impasse. And this really did feel like one of those moments where it's like, are they going to be able to work out their differences, take the golden run, or is it going to all come crashing down? Obviously, we all know what happens when you reach this impasse, but that entire sequence really did feel like John Houston shot it, which was a very weird thing to feel during The Flash. Hmm. That's that's interesting, especially with all that CGI, like because it is just so CGI heavy. And so I'm when I say shot like a Houston, I'm talking about the angles, the sure the way yeah. that where Muschietti put the camera, it felt like that. Um, but unfortunately, mm. yes, it is laden with far too much CGI. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it, I, I, I definitely hear what you're saying with, like, the angles and the way that that is shot, and that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it's definitely an interesting pull, and yeah, the characters, they are at an impasse where, you know, none of them are going to give whatsoever. Like, they, they both want what they want, and they're going to keep screwing shit up because they are, are not going to give any ground on that, and uh, that's why we end up with so much, like, weirdness in that final act, and... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an interesting way to put it, though. I, I love that. It's a great puzzle piece. It's a great one to kick it off with. So I, w- I will go with maybe uh, a, a much more obvious one, but I, you know, I think it kind of has to uh, be a part of the equation here, and that is, of course, Spider-Man No Way Home, because this movie is basically set up for the sake of bringing back all of these superhero characters and, you know, with No Way Home, of course, bringing back Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. It's weird that I would go in that order, actually, now that I think about it. But, uh, you know, bringing back these these classic superhero actors. And uh, here, the biggest draw of this movie, at least in my opinion, is Michael Keaton's Batman. Absolutely. I That, that was the original selling point to me. Once yeah. it was finally announced, because I lost interest in the production hell that the Flash fell into. Yeah, once things started like going uh, into reshoots and revisions, and then all of the various issues with Ezra Miller, which we may or may not talk a little about along the way, uh, you know, th- this movie kind of just got to like morbid curiosity more than anything, except for who isn't excited to see Michael Keaton back. So like that's kind of the, the main draw here. But uh, yeah, let, let's go to your next piece. What do you got next? My next piece is a documentary entitled The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened? Okay. Is this about the, uh, the, the comic? No, this is about the, a movie in the 90s that was going to be directed by Tim Burton called Superman Lives. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was the documentary film that um, John Schnepp directed of Metalocalypse fame. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the, I think it was the only feature he made in his lifetime. And obviously at the end of The Flash, when they have a slew of cameos that may or may not be very disrespectful to the performers that originated these roles, um, sure. there is a moment where we see the iconic Cage Man, and it kind of validates Tim Burton's movie, even though it ha- it's a 30-year-old legend. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was one of the few cameos that felt earned, I'd say. I, I agree. I, I actually have not seen that documentary, and I probably should as big of a Nick Cage fan as I am. Um, but 
Yeah, that was the one moment in the movie that uh, I was applauding along with my theater. I was like 100% in and I was like, you know what? This is all ridiculous, but uh, give me this. I'm so excited right now. <laughs> I was the only one in my theater who applauded with Cage. Oh, really? Oh, man. Thing. Those people all suck that you saw it with. <laughs> they don't. They don't know good when they uh, when they get it. It was handed a, to them. This was a six thirty IMAX showing, and it was it barely had anybody in it on a Thursday night for yeah. a DC movie. Damn, that's <laughs> not not a good sign. Not a good sign. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see how this box office works out. But I'm gonna go for my next puzzle piece with uh, Edge of Tomorrow, uh, the Tom Cruise. Uh, redoing the action over and over again, a kind of Groundhog's Day type scenario where he's getting just millions and millions of tries to keep perfecting uh, his, his battle against these aliens. And in this, we're getting the Flash just over and over again, redoing this action sequence uh, that kind of recalls Man of Steel uh, fighting against Zod, played by Michael Shannon. And... Uh, you know, just the whole thing of the Flash just doing it over and over and over and over again to the point where it just becomes almost a joke and it, you know, is kind of what makes the character and what makes the movie uh, fun should be this. And it's done so perfectly in Edge of Tomorrow. Um, here, it's it's the fact that they had to go back to Man of Steel kind of uh, invalidates it a little bit. Like, it should have been its own action sequence, I feel like, but... You know, it's still an interesting way to shoot an action sequence. I I think I disagree with that a little bit because okay. this was a different action sequence. Mm -hmm. In the original, Zod only came down, threatened him, and left. Okay. And the second time he came down, uh, Superman turned himself in. This one actually mm. expands and lets the desert be the final battle, which I actually thought was a great place to do a fight for Superman because of how open it is. Okay. That's interesting. You, you, you give Superman an appropriate visual space to engage in a fight, and that's why the fight between Supergirl and Zod was so good. Mm. And and Supergirl was good in this. Um, yeah, I mean, she is definitely a standout of the movie. Oh, she was... Sasha Cal should be the Supergirl. Yeah. Like, the Supergirl movie they're working on for James Gunn's, it should be Sasha Cal. That is some of the most perfect DC casting I've seen in some yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be one of the, uh, the, the silver linings of this movie if they were able to pull that casting off and, and continue with that. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, what do you have for your next piece? Well, it's kind of awkward because you kind of took mine in a way. <laughs> You said Edge of Tomorrow, but what's Edge of Tomorrow previously based on? Mm hmm Groundhog Day. Sure, sure. <laughs> I, I, I went with the Groundhog Day because it was more comedy than Edge of Tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, this, was, this was a funnier DC movie while still managing to be one of the bleakest sure. yet. Sure, sure. Um, and I feel like Groundhog Day, as you get older, is... Funnier, but also a lot more bleak as you get mm -hmm. older. At least, yeah. When I've seen absolutely. it, I first saw it when I was like ten, and watching it at twenty is very different. But yeah, that that was my next puzzle piece. Awesome. Was yeah, <laughs> and and yeah, you're right. It, this is definitely like you know DC kind of having its cake and eating it too in that way. It's like it's funnier, but also darker at the same time. It just depends on kind of how you look at what's going on with the Flash and and Barry's whole story. Um, so it, it it's kind of interesting that they. 
I don't want to say balanced those, but definitely tried to have both of those in the same movie. So it's uh, it's kind of interesting in that way. It's surprising though that it does it still does both better than a lot of Marvel recently. It does comedy and drama better than almost all the recent Marvel movies. Yeah, I they've been going through a dry patch lately. You know, <laughs> other other than Guardians of the Galaxy Guardians... Volume Three. That's the only one I really liked. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it, it hasn't been good at Marvel recently. Yeah. Well, I'll go to Star Wars The Last Jedi for my next puzzle piece here for a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> we, we, we've got... Ex- no, 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 I like it, I like it. I exclamations like it. going on. I like it. I love it. it. Uh, <laughs> so, first of all, uh, let, let's start off with uh, Luke Skywalker being a weird old recluse when we find him, uh, much like our beloved Michael Keaton Batman. Uh, who at first I didn't even recognize with the long hair. And I, I was like, is is this Batman that we're seeing now? Or is it some guy that lives in this house? Like, he was like just this weird, oddball old guy. Uh, so I, I thought that was my first connection here. But then also, like, the general idea of the movie of letting the past die, moving on, which is a little muddled here since we are at this weird impasse for DC and who will continue forward and different new versions and whatnot. And also with bringing back all these CGI cameos, but in theory, the idea that, uh, that, you know, Barry is supposed to be going through is this idea of moving on, of letting go of, you know, just moving on with his life. And that is something that can be tied back pretty strongly, I think, to the main theme of The Last Jedi. Absolutely. And ju- just so for the record, I love The Last Jedi. So mm-hmm. th- this too. is not going to turn into Last Jedi hate time. Hate time. Yeah. <laughs> um, good. I think your point is, wow, that's very good. <laughs> <laughs> right on. That, well, I mean, it's, it's weird thinking about Michael Keaton being the Luke Skywalker of this movie. Mm-hmm. Because of how separated he has always been from every single DC project. Like, George Clooney, just from talking about Batman, is more associated than Michael Keaton at this point. But now, I mean, pulling the whole Luke Skywalker, and it works too. And actually, he might even give a better performance than Hamill. Mm Mm-hmm. If we're allowed to do hot takes. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty uh, scorching hot take, but uh, it's prob- probably accurate. But you know, you know what's funny? I would say, like, if, if Luke Skywalker is, like, this legend in the universe of Star Wars, um, isn't Batman, the Tim Burton Batman, uh, a legend for all of these performers doing these new DC movies later on down in the real world? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I- I'd say in terms of real world effect, I mean... I mean, you, you can't understate Keaton's Batman. I mean, yeah. actually, uh, you mind if we go ahead and talk a bit more about Keaton's sure, Batman? Sure, go for it. Yeah. Because um, my, uh, my next puzzle piece is Batman Returns. Okay. Because th- this picks up 30 years after Batman Returns. I mean, I, we can only assume that this is the same timeline as before. And it just the continuation of Keaton's story feels feels like there's connective tissue there. Like, I feel like I could watch Batman Returns and then go to The Flash, and I have an idea of what what Keaton goes through in that 30-year break. Absolutely. And And also just the fact of it hones the uh, the darker tone of Batman Returns. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely continues with that tone and that story, and this does feel like a logical place where that version of Batman would eventually end up as he's 
getting older and uh yeah i i think that that's a great one to bring up and definitely to like kind of bring it back to keaton and uh while we're talking about keaton why not just throw in multiplicity as a puzzle piece here too uh, with multiple (laughs) michael keaton's (laughs) we don't have multiple michael keaton's here but we do have michael keaton in a movie with multiple clones and multiple versions of oneself so uh why not you know throw it in there as an extra piece absolutely i mean it it I actually haven't seen that movie in like probably probably 30 years, like or 25 years or something. A long, long time. It is a it is a hole in my Keaton filmography, man. I, I need to see that one. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm planning on revisiting it one of these days, actually, to be honest. But uh, I will uh, I will jump off of that, though, and go to another piece here. Uh, I I'm going to go with uh, Looper. The uh, Ryan Johnson, speaking of uh, The Last Jedi, another Ryan Johnson film. But usually when you're dealing with like time travel and all the implications of time travel, uh, you know, the, the characters that are the younger and older versions of themselves, they have to, you know, avoid each other or else, you know, there's going to be all kinds of, you know, crazy shit's going to happen. But in Looper, by the end, uh, the, the young and old versions of Bruce Willis's character, which is the younger played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt also a robin uh but they uh they end up having to um you know have interactions throughout the film and there's just no way getting around that and so here we have like these older and younger versions of the flash of barry allen who end up having to work together in you know this you know crazy story versus sticking to the you know tried and true time travel tradition of keeping them apart the whole time absolutely Absolutely. My next piece is going to be Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh, boy. And the reason I thought about this one was the, A, the prequel aspect of it, mm-hmm. which this is acting as a prequel. Um, this, the, this is a film that is affected by the James Gunn, Peter Safran creative touch, which means that stuff that in this movie more than likely will come into play in the future. And the mm. way that they go about telling this prequel, showcasing Barry Allen's powers, and like balancing everything, very much felt how Temple of Doom was, along with the idea of this cultish, godlike figure coming to these characters' lives. And mm. in this case, instead of Molaram, that's... Um, General Zod. Sure. And in this and Shannon is very feels very much more like that Molo Rom presence in this one rather than in Man of Steel when he was just straight up like, I will kill you, I will find your son, I will take him. Mm-hmm. Like he's just very direct and it's like this will happen, you cannot stop it. And in this one he's very much more like he he feels like he's a lot more thoughtful. Like, this is a different Zod. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to see uh, around this movie some of the interviews with uh, Michael Shannon because he, like, clearly wasn't 100% on board what was happening exactly, but he still turns in a great performance. I mean, he's just so watchable, and he is great as Zod. Absolutely. I mean, I think, and he's talked about this, and I watched his interview that he did with Vanity Fair talking about his iconic characters. Um, He actually got permission from Snyder to do this. Mm Mm-hmm. Before, like, he, he would not sign on before he got Zack's permission for this, 
because of his experience on Man of Steel. That's cool. So, I mean, it's it's respectable what he did, but he also shows that he's committed to this. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's saying he just shows up for a couple minutes and has some lines. Like, no, he's still doing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's just not the main... He's not the main villain of this story. The main villain is yeah, Barry. Absolutely. Well, so. I will go to... Uh, let's see here. I'm going to go with J.J. Abrams' Star Trek because of bringing back the original Spock along with a whole new Spock. And... Uh, Maybe the grandfather of all of these multiple versions and legacy sequels with bringing back old characters? Is, is that possible? I would say so. That's one of the earlier memories I have of like, oh, he was in like the original stuff. Right. right. So I, th I think Nimoy in Star Trek, in the new Star Treks was that. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of set us on our course towards... A lot of the things we've been talking about here with the No Way Homes and The Last Jedi and, you know, all these things with bringing back all of the classic characters. And, uh, you know, we're in a time of endless nostalgia with these movies. And uh, that is kind of, you know, what, what kind of got us there. Yes, but I feel like what was done in Star Trek was done with a different intention rather than what's happening like with No Way Home mm -hmm. or Multiverse of Madness. Sure. No one was talking about, oh, Nimoy's going to show up in Star Trek, that's why we need to go see the movie. Whereas if someone is rumored to show up and say Thor 545, <laughs> you know, that's the reason you go buy the ticket instead of the story. Yeah. So. that That's a really good point. Like, why is it that we can't just have surprise cameos anymore? Why why does every single one of them have to be like the news item? It has to be how you sell the movie. Like the surprise cameos could have made this so much more fun. And there are a couple, but still like Absolutely. Um I mean even the I'll just be honest, the ending was not mm -hmm. spoiled for me. Um the final scene with Barry and Bruce Wayne was mm -hmm. not. And that one was the only one that I didn't know about beforehand, and it did knock my socks off. Yeah. Like, it, it was fun as all get out to just see. I'm, I don't want to ruin it because this one was my favorite one of the whole movie, mm -hmm. besides Cage. But this one actually also has implications. Right, so right. I, I feel like that's the other thing with cameos is that when they have implications, they mm -hmm. hit more. Sure. Um, like Fury at the end of Iron Man. Like that is a all time cameo. Mm hmm. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Well, what do you got for your next piece? Uh, I've only got one more. And my last one is a thematic piece. And this is more just multiverse movies that have either disappointed me, um, despite <laughs> getting acclaim of sorts. Mm. Um, yeah, and you can call it of sorts. And might be unfair to say. Everything Everywhere All at Once, the most recent Best Picture winner. Okay. I say that because of not being able to get on the same wavelength. I wasn't able to do that with Everything Everywhere, and I feel like I'm, it's happening with The Flash as well. There's just something that I'm missing from both of these movies that feels like if I figure it out for one, the other one will follow as well. Because... Mm -hmm. Everything Everywhere also goes off this idea of generational trauma, parents, and wanting that relationship with your parents, whether or not your parents are making that effort, whether because of imprisonment, death, whatever. And the Allen family has, you know, 
they've gone through it. Mm-hmm. So these two movies just feel very intertwined, especially with how movies are right now. Like this is the big budget version of everything everywhere all at once more so than no way home or any of these others that, or even some of the spider verse mm-hmm. um, because the spider verse does what everything everywhere wants to do, but in a different way, but also better. So, yeah, I, I think that's fair. I'm actually, it's funny. I'm going to be recording an episode on uh, across the spider verse this week, as well as this. So lots of multiverses all around, but you know, I think you said earlier that, uh, you know, they're using multiverses as kind of a plot armor. And I think that that is, you know, that's the problem with all these, including everywhere, everything everywhere all at once is when anything is possible, like you start to kind of lose, you know, sight of what matters in a movie. And that that makes it a little bit difficult to really care about things when everything is possible at any given time. Yes, but you can also go the other, you can go too far in the other direction as well of, so if anything's possible, then you have unlimited plot armor. But if you limit it too much, then again, nothing's possible. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there's a gray area that I feel like is not being found by a lot of filmmakers right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's uh, definitely a good one to bring up. Um, I've got two little pieces that I will uh, finish it up with here. So first of all, you know, we've already brought up plenty of superhero stuff, but was it, I actually, I should have looked this up beforehand. I couldn't remember if it was Avengers Endgame or if it was Infinity War, whichever one where they had to go back into uh, the events of the older Endgame. movie. That, that was Endgame. That's what I thought. So uh, yeah, in Avengers Endgame, having to go back and redo uh, old scenes, you know, that I, again, that is a big part of the Flash is returning to uh, previous events and, and things that had happened in other versions of uh the snyder verse here so um so we definitely have that going on the other one i wanted to bring up though um bringing it back again to michael keaton's batman because again he's the best part of the movie um this might be a bit of a deep cut but when he's explaining uh the complex situations of time travel in multiple universes using a plate of spaghetti Reminded me a little bit of the classic Saturday Night Live sketch with Phil Hartman as Bill Clinton at McDonald's, where he's stealing the kids' French fries to explain warlords in the Middle East. Um, that, that, was, that was my final puzzle piece that I wanted oh. to bring up. <laughs> uh, SNL sketches were fair game. I, I, this would have been a five-hour episode. Right? I'm sure there's plenty we could have thrown to. Uh, I, I figured mean, I'd just squeeze that one in. Why not? <laughs> oh, that's a that's a good one. Um, awesome. oh, man, I, I they they really defined the entire multiverse through spaghetti in this movie, and it still made more sense to me than some of the other time travel explanations. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, the the harder they try, the worse it gets. So why not just use spaghetti? It's like might as well, you know. But uh, I will read down our finished list of puzzle pieces here, and then we'll get into some closing thoughts. Uh, We talked about the treasures of the Sierra Madre. Great one to kick it off with there. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened, Edge of Tomorrow, Groundhog's Day, The Last Jedi, Batman Returns, Multiplicity, Looper, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, J.J. Abrams' Star Trek, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Avengers Endgame, and that SNL Phil Hartman, Bill Clinton sketch. 
So, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> a lot of multiversal type stuff. Can I, can I tack on one more? Why not? Let's do it. Um, it's kind of obvious. It's another one of the obvious ones, but Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah, of course. We, we got it. Well, th- not just that, because this movie is feels like it follows Zack Snyder's Justice League more than it follows the Justice League crud that we got. Mm. Um, th- yeah. Because Ben Affleck is much more, you know, he's a lot less quippy, he's much more serious, he's a lot more, you know, like, he's he's got things on his head. Like, I could definitely see him going to have another meeting with Martian Manhunter after, you know, hanging out with Barry for a little bit. Mm, yeah, so, I, I, I can see that, yeah. I just would like to throw on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any other, like, closing thoughts, anything we didn't get to while talking puzzle pieces here? Um, I would just say that this movie has been a long time coming, and I can't say for certain this is the movie that we were either teased with or should have gotten. Maybe this should have just been canned, and maybe we should have gotten Batgirl instead. Hmm. I feel like DC has may, might might be going to the realm of too far gone with this one for yeah. some reason. I, I can't I can't really say for sure why. It's just sitting in the theater, I just had the thought of, is this really Flash? Is this really the Flash movie that we're gonna get? Mm. Yeah. Um and I, I just that's not something I'm sure I can ignore as a lover of DC comics. So Yeah. Well, I, I, it's hard to imagine, honestly, like, because like I said, I'm not really a big superhero guy. Like, it's hard to imagine this from the point of view of someone like you who is a big DC Comics fan. And, uh, it, it definitely, it's, it's so all over the place that it's hard to imagine, uh, if this does any kind of justice to any of it, like it, it just feels like a big mishmash of ideas. And I, again, like, it's good to hear that you're, you know, down for, you know, what, uh, you know, is going to happen with this new reboot from James Gunn. Hopefully that really will work out and will be, uh, you know, a a new direction forward. It's also weird uh, where Aquaman is going to fit into all this. Of course, we have a little post credit scene, um, but we know that that's kind of like the last dangling, you know, part of this original DC universe. Um, Well... That's weird. We've got we've got one more movie. Mm-hmm. We we've got one more of the DCU Aquaman two. Right, exactly. Um, but if we're being honest, that might get. Uh, have you heard anything about Aquaman two? Nothing really. And I I am a big Aquaman is my favorite of the DC movies. Like I I love well, that movie. I I just think it's so ridiculously over the top and fun. Like I'm I'm in on Aquaman. Well, it's it's not it. Word has been great, but at this point, it's not the filmmaker's fault. It's like Andy Muschietti, the guy who made Mama and the It movies, um, mm-hmm. he's doing Batman, and I'll be I'll, I'll be there day one to see it. Um, yeah. he is a great filmmaker, and I don't feel like the sins of DC should he should have to pay for those. Yeah, because there's there's a lot of chopping going on that is like really messed with this one and made it quite a complicated thing. I think we could say that. But still better than Black Adam. <laughs> and Shazam 2. Absolutely. So, you know fair. what? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good I'll place. Take what I, I think. can get at this point. <laughs> I think that's a good place to wrap up The Flash. Is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yes. And I'm stalling for time so I can pull up my letterbox. It's actually a mini series, if that's all right. Sure, go for it. 
It is a docu-series on Max called Smartless on the Road. Hmm. I haven't heard of this. And it is... There's a podcast that started during the pandemic called Smartless with uh, Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and Sean Hayes. Mm -hmm. And the idea was they bring on a guest, they don't know who it is, or the other two don't know who it is, and they have an interview. It's very much based on spontaneity and improv, and the miniseries is a lot lot more deep dive than you might expect. Okay. Sounds interesting. Sounds like a pretty cool thing. And I like all those people involved, so uh, maybe I'll check that one out. But uh, Alexandra, tell people where they can find you and your filmmaking and film criticism. You can find all of my work at alexanderwreams.com. You can find the Galaxy of Film podcast at galaxyoffilm.com and where podcasts are downloaded. And you can look forward to Distinguished, our upcoming short film. Uh, That'll be dropping very soon on our YouTube channel, Galaxy of Film Productions. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for doing the show, and hopefully we'll get you back again sometime. Hope to be back. Hi, I'm Max. And my name's Pablo. And we're Galaxy, Galaxy of Film. My name's actually Danilo, but sometimes people call me Pablo. After 11.30, baby. And speaking of 11.30 and time, 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, a new episode of Galaxy of Film drops every fucking Thursday. So I don't know what you're doing on Thursday. You're going to get ready for the new music drop. But listen to Galaxy of Film first. 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, every fucking Thursday. We have a blast. We talk about new movies. We pair it with an old one. We're just, we're Galaxy of Film, baby. And we're dialed in. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about The Flash. Thanks, everybody that's out there listening. If you're enjoying piecing it together, make sure you are subscribed. Wherever it is you're listening right now, you can click that button and get subscribed because we got a lot of episodes on the way. Also, uh, if you really enjoy the show, maybe drop a five-star rating and review. I'd really appreciate it if you did that. I love hearing from people, and also uh, the ratings help get the show up in rankings, supposedly. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, anyway, you can also follow me on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And then, if you really like the show, you could also help support everything that I'm up to by checking out the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, as well as Awesome Movie Year, and from my music career. Lots of great stuff over there. It's patreon.com slash Rosen. If you want to kick in a few bucks, that would be appreciated. But I just... I'm happy that you're out there listening. So keep on listening and sharing the show and leaving some comments with some puzzle pieces. I really appreciate you all being out there. So uh, with that said, let's close this out with a piece of music. And uh, I got to do something kind of upbeat for a movie like The Flash with all the craziness going on. I'm going to go with Black Light from my latest album, More Content. I know I've played this on the show before, but it feels like a good one to close this episode out with. So let's go with Black Light. More content is available wherever you get music, and I hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.